The following is an interview with the master, Marcel Duchamp. This is the White Hot Magazine podcast. It's the Art World podcast, and I'm your host, Noah Becker. Philadelphia Museum of Art is a collection of paintings and objects by a man whose unique view of life has greatly influenced modern art. So here you are, Marcel, looking at your big glass. Yes. And the more I look at it, the more I like it. I like the breaks, the way they come, the cracks. You remember how it happened in 1926? Yes, I remember hearing. In uh, Brooklyn, they put the two panes on top of one another on a truck, flat, not knowing what they were carrying, and bouncing for 60 miles in Connecticut. So that's what happened. But the more I look at it, the more I like the cracks because they're not like shattered glass. They have a shape. There's a symmetry in the cracking. The two crackings are symmetrically disposed, and there's more, almost an intention there, an extra... um, Curious intention that I'm not responsible for, ready-made intention, in other words, that I respect and love. But it is, it was one of your biggest undertakings, most ambitious. By five years, and I worked eight years on it, and it is not finished. No. And I don't know whether it will ever be finished, but now I'll show you some finished things. Come along. There's the chocolate grinder. Yes, uh, one of the two I made. And uh, the third one is on the glass itself. You had several versions of the uh, new descending a staircase too, didn't you? Yes, uh, three, uh, three, but this one is the real, the first one that was shown at the armory show. The one the newspaper man called an explosion and a shingle back. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that was a really. A great, uh, great line he put uh, out of it. Succeed a scandal, yes. And this is a um, boxing match, a drawing that I never used, in fact, it's for the glass. I never used it. I felt it was not uh, quite what I wanted. It must be a great satisfaction to you to have so many versions and so, so much of your work in one collection, such as uh, you find here in the Philadelphia Museum. Oh. Wonderful it is. You know, it's just, I always felt that showing a, one painting in one place and another place is just like amputating one finger each time or a leg. Here I feel at home, my house, and I've, I've never had such a, really a f- feeling of complete satisfaction. As well, I can understand how an artist would feel about yeah. that. Well, so these don't seem... Your earliest work? No, oh. no, no. The earliest is this one in the corner, the church. That was done in my 
village in 1902. How old were you? I was uh, 15 then. And uh, then it, uh, I went on about some more of that period, but they're not here. It's rather impressionist, isn't it's, it? It's Is that mm -hmm. what was the Vogue? And, uh... Yeah, well, it was the, not the Vogue, it was the only thing he talked about, you see. I mean, it was... It was advanced, yeah, even it was then. advanced, and yet, you can, when you see these two, which are later, already impressionists has gone down in uh, vogue. So they're more structural. They're more structural, and Cezanne has been recognized then, and Cezanne is the great man, and I was influenced by Cezanne in those two paintings, you see. This is my, bro my two brothers playing chess in the garden, and this is my father. Well, the whole family were painters, your sister and brother? One sister paints, yes, but uh, especially my, my brother, Bidon, paints. But and did they bring you into this uh, Cezanne uh, no, Impressionist? No, 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 it was all on my, you know, on my own. No, I Just in the air? In the air, especially, yes. Yeah, and my father was very nice about it, in fact, it was very difficult uh, then as it is now to become a painter on your own. How can you expect to live, etc., etc.? So he was a good man. He looks patient to <laughs> have set that portrait up. Yeah. There seems to be a, quite a step between this and the nude descending a staircase. Yes, the nude was uh, two years later. 1912. 1912. And it was after these that I decided that no more obvious influences as I had before. I wanted to at least be with living in my day. And my day was Cubism. See, 1910, 11, 12, Cubism was in its childhood. And I, the approach was so different from the previous movements that I was very much attracted toward it. And I began being a cubist painter, and finally I came to the nude. The nude, however, has something of movement in it that the cubist didn't yeah. seem to be yes, interested in. It. You see, the, there was also futurism at that time. The Italian. Italian futurism. But I didn't know about it. You weren't in Munich. Are you in, in, in Italy, no. I never knew any. You see, the uh, famous Futurist show in Paris was in 19, January 1912 when I was painting this. I so see. I hadn't seen it. There's a coincidence there. Of course, you might say it's in, it was in the air. But I, I didn't actually know the Futurist. And, but I did this painting with the idea of using movement as one of the elements in it. And uh, next year, the following year, I sent it uh, at the invitation of American painters Davis and Walter Park. It was an event in American painting I know, history, but I, I know, but I, it's only now, that even now, that we know it, 40 years later. At the moment, it might have been an explosion of a success for a week or 10 days and finished in uh, a foot pie. Hmm? Yes. But uh, it went on. Then that was not enough for me. I went on with the idea that, all right, I had done what I could with cubism, in my opinion, and immediately wanted to change. This idea of changing, not repeating myself. I could have done 10 nudes probably at that time if I wanted to. 
I decided not to go that. That was that will come into another discussion probably about why I did that. But I went immediately into another formula, which is the formula of the the uh, chocolate. chocolate grinder. I was in Rouen in one of the shops showing through the glass a real and actual chocolate grinder that a manufacturer of chocolate showed his chocolate grinder in the window and it amused me so much that I took it as a as a point of departure. But what was different in your uh, point of view here than in any normal still life of a chocolate grinder? Was it a mechanical interest? Yes, of course the mechanical side of it uh, uh, influenced me there now, at least that was also the point of departure of a new form of technique. I couldn't go into the uh, haphazard drawing that, or the folds or the painting, the splashing of the paint. Or the, I wanted to go back to an, a completely dry drawing, dry uh, conception of, of art. And the mechanical drawing for me was the, the best form of that dry form of art. Accuracy, precision. accuracy, precision. No more, nothing of that handiwork. Uh, chance, sh chance. Well, Values. chance is another question. But I mean, in that actual drawing, the precision that I could be could not be even uh, liked by all the people who liked impressionism and all this. It was a new uh, a decision on my part to get away from even cubism. Then, after a year of that. So this is the, and this was the real beginning for the large glass. At the time you did this, was there no notion of what was coming? No, no, that was, but this I was already beginning to make a definite plan, complete plan for the whole glass. And the chocolate grinder was one point, and then came the sliding machine on the side. All this was supposed and was drawn in 13 and 14. Uh, on uh, on paper, planned, out, on, yeah. planned out, because it was based on a perspective view, meaning complete uh, control of the placement of things. It couldn't be haphazardly or changed afterwards. It had to go through the, as according to plans. So well, I imagine you feel that the chocolate grinder heralded something in your work, something of that break you've often told me about. Yes, it was really a very important moment in my life. I had to make great decisions then. I made a great one by saying to myself, no more painting, you'd get a job. And I looked for a job in order to get enough time to paint for myself. And I got a job as a librarian in Paris in the Bibliothèque Saint-Geneviève. And this was a wonderful job because you had so many hours free in the day. You mean painting for yourself, not merely to please other people. Exactly. Since... And that, of course, uh, led me to this conclusion that you either are a professional painter or not. There are two kinds of artists. The ones, the artist that deals with society is in, uh, integrated in society and the other artists, the completely freelance 
artist who has nothing to do with you, no bonds at the all. Man, I mean, the man in society has to make certain compromises Com to please them and to live. Is that you, why you took the job? Exactly. Exactly. I, I didn't want to depend on my painting for a living. Well, didn't you have a certain income from your father? Enough to live, if you want. Yes, enough to. My father was very nice about that. He always helped us long. All uh, the three? All, all the three, all three of, of you? Yes. Long after we were of age, I mean, as long. And he had a very funny uh, idea. He said, all right, I'll give you what you want, but don't forget we are, we have we have three sisters and three brothers. So whatever you get during my lifetime, you'll never get after my death as an inheritance. So all these sums that he had added carefully were deducted, subtracted from what we got after his death. You see, it was a very amusing French idea. Well, at least it helped you over the bumps oh, in the beginning. Sure. Well, Marcel, when you speak of uh, your disregard for the broad public and say you're painting for yourself, wouldn't you accept that as painting for the ideal public, for a public which should appreciate you if they would only make the effort to? Yes, indeed. It's only a way of putting myself in the right position for that ideal public because the danger is to please an immediate public, the immediate public that comes around you and takes you in and accepts you and gives you success and everything. Instead of that, if you wait for your public that should come 50 years, 100 years after your death, that's the right public I it's want. It's a rather ascetic attitude. I can see that you... I, I don't think you ever felt that uh, no. a person was justified in taking the uh, an ivory tower attitude no. and disregarding the intelligent and sympathetic public. No ivory tower in my idea at all. I remember a line in an, a piece by Henri-Pierre Rocher in which he uh, referred to you as saying that you were always careful to find a way to contradict yourself. I imagine by this you mean you were trying to avoid repeating yourself. Is this right? You see, the danger is to, to lead yourself into a form of taste even, even, even in the, in the chocolate grinder, that taste then is something that repeats something else that has been accepted. Is exactly. that what you mean? It's, it's, a, it's a habit. It's a repetition of the same thing long enough to become taste. If you cut it shortly, I mean, after you've done it, then it becomes, it stays as a thing by itself. But if it's repeated a, n a number of times, it becomes a taste. And good taste is what's good. approved and bad taste yes. is the same repetition yes. which is not approved. Is that what you mean? Yes, good or bad is of, of no importance because it's always good for one and bad for the other. The, 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 uh, the quality is not important, but it's taste anyway. Well, how would, did you find a way to get away from good or bad taste in your personal expression? I know in that technique of the mechanical technique there was no taste possible. I mean, Really, a mechanical drawing has no taste in it. Because it was divorced from the conventional uh, expression exactly. in the painting. Right? At least I thought so at that time, and I do think today the same way. Then does this divorce from human intervention in drawing and painting have its relation with uh, the uh, interest you had in ready-mades? Naturally, as a sort of conclusion or con consequence of 
dehumanization of the of the work of art in su such a point that I came to the idea of the ready mage. I call them ready mages. Name for them. Now, let me show you. This is um, a ready-made bird cage with, if you see me, uh, having a hard time because this is not sugar. This is marble and it weighs a ton. And that was one of the elements that interested me when I made it, you see. It's ready-made and the sugar is changing to marble. It's a sort of mythological effect. This is a ready-made of dating back from 1916. It's a borotwine between two plaques of copper, brass. And when I, before I finished it, Eisberg put something between inside the ball of twine, the ball of twine, and never told me what it was, and I didn't want to know. It was a sort of secret, and it makes a noise. So we call this a ready-made with a secret noise, and listen to it. I never know, I don't know, I will never know whether it's a diamond or a coin. You didn't meet Ahrensburg till you came to the United States, did you? No. I came in 1915, and that was my first meeting with him. Walter Bach took me to his house, the very coming out of the boat. I he came on the boat, and it was a very long life friendship with him. Was Ahrensburg himself a painter? No, he was a poet. He was a poet connected with the school of the Imagists in England. H.D. and, yeah. and uh, Richard Orlington. And yes, group. all these. And they had the magazine here with Kramborg, Alfred Kramborg, Wallace Stevens, called Others. And they published that magazine. Of Didn't he publish some magazines himself that connected yes, with your yes. group? Yes, um, two, two, two amusing magazines only had one issue, unfortunately. One was called Wrong, wrong, and the other one was called the blind man. It was really they were Dadaists. Yes, they were on. The, they were inspired by the Dada. Or was it more of a literary movement, yes. perhaps? Than... Yes, it was more literary. That's it. It was no, no more to do with plastic art as such. No more uh, considerations of technique or you know Allah. Uh, as to all the schools before had In fact, it was a negation, a refusal to accept anything like that, to deny any preoccupation of, um, of theoretical interest, you see. So, uh, the, the, the data movement in Paris was completely, became completely literary, and in fact became the surrealism in 1923. I when see. They, so, they got, of course, as usual, a group of people don't get together very long. In two years or three years of it was enough, and they began fighting together. They hated each other. So they dispersed and became another group from itself on the ashes of Dada to become the Surrealists. But your group in America, I mean the Ahrensburg group, was associated with several other groups, wasn't it? Uh, there was, for example, Catherine Dreyer, who was also a patron of art, and she started a museum called Société Anonyme, and the Société Anonyme was a group of museum to bring from abroad paintings to get a sort of uh, 
communion of art from the from the two sides in uh, Malanat, and it was quite successful. Well, these uh, several groups, uh, uh, I imagine, laid a certain foundation for uh, an understanding of contemporary European art oh, in this country completely. much before other activities. Yes, yes, it was. It was uh, from then on that America was absolutely Malinart conscious, that which never had happened before. I see. Well, sh uh, Catherine Dreyer also owned your large glass, which we were looking at a little yes, while ago. Yes, she, at the time when the Arnsbergs, who had the glass for a while, for first had the glass when it was almost finished, but never was finished. Uh, in 1920, 21, when they left New York for California, they didn't want to take the glass along because it was too fragile and they ex couldn't expect to transport it very easily. And so she, Catherine Dryers, bought it from them and she had it all the rest of her life. Marcel, from what you say, the glass was never really finished. No. No, the last uh, time I worked on it was in 23. Still, it remains uh, a sort unfinished. of unfinished epic, as I see. Yes. And uh, uh, also, for me, it seems to indicate that you were never really uh, dedicated to conventional painting in the ordinary sense of the word. You, uh, you were happy enough to do this, you were happy enough to leave it, you were happy enough to choose bottle racks for us. Uh, uh, ready maids and uh, fill bird cages with marble yeah. to deceive uh, those who thought it was sugar. Uh, I imagine that there's something broader in your concept of what art is than just painting. Is that what you uh, yes. feel yourself? I don't like to put words in your mouth no, on no, this, no. but I have often thought about it. Yes, it was really, I considered painting as a means of expression, not a name. One means. One means of expression instead of a name, a complete uh, aim of, for life at all. The same as I consider that color is only a means of expression in painting. It's, it shouldn't be the the last aim of painting. In other words, painting shouldn't be not on, only retin retinal or visual. It should be to have. To, to do with the gray matter of our understanding instead of purely visual, you see. So, so it's the same thing with my life in general. I didn't want to, to pin myself down to one little circle, and I, I tried at least to be as general as I could, and that's, for example, that's what I uh, did when I took up chess. Chess in itself is a hobby, is a little game. Everybody can play chess, and. But I took it very seriously and enjoyed it because I found some common points between chess and painting. Actually, when you play a game of chess, it's like design something or constructing some a mechanism of some kind by which you win or lose. It doesn't, the competitive side of it has no importance, but the thing itself is very, very plastic. And that's probably what attracted me in the game. You mean by that an, uh, an enjoyment, a sort of fuller living? That is to say, another form of an expression? Yes, it, at least it was another facet of the same kind of uh, mental expression, intellectual expression. One small facet, if you want, but it was just enough different to make it 
another to make it another facet and then add to the to the to the body of my life. Marcel, you spent quite a bit of time in the late 1930s and the early 1940s on your release. Do you regard that as a distinct personal expression also? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a new form of expression for me. It was instead of painting something, it was to use the reproduction of those paintings that I loved so much into a small, reduced form, in a small shape. And how to do it, I didn't know. I thought of a book, which I didn't like. So I thought of the idea of a box in which they would be mounted like in a, in a small museum, portable museum, so to speak. And there it is in this um, valise. A sort of uh, ready-made help. As Very you made call it. Yes. See, it opens this way. Out it goes, and then we have the rest of it in this. In practically all your work is in here. Practically all of it. I think very few things are missing. You see this um, auto relief. What is it? Is it a disc that? Uh... Yes, it's it's a series. It's twelve drawings, different drawings, that based on the, this spiral. Uh, to be used on a gramophone. To be used on the yeah, on a Victrola, and the effect is that when you turn them at a certain speed, like thirty-three and a half rounds uh, turns a minute, you get the effect of uh, uh, a growing form. Growing form, like a. Like a comb, corkscrew, and the spiral effect, spiralic effect. But they are different um, drawings. This one, for example, is a glass. It doesn't look like a glass here, but when it turns, this comes up like a, a, in third dimension. We have this one here. Is a, that's the Dada period. You see, the Mona Lisa with a mustache and a goatee. That was, of course, a great iconoclastic gesture on my part, and um, sacrilegious, sacrilegious, right. blasphemous, all you want. But outside of this blasphemous gesture, I have other gestures of the same kind in the Dada period, like this check. I paid my dentist with this check, which was an original check drawn by myself on no bank at all. And he accepted it. He was very good sport, and he accepted it. So, what happened, the funniest part of it, is that 10 or 15 years later, I saw him again, I bought the check back for my own collection, and there it is. This is also another one on a system, Monte Carlo system, to win in Monte Carlo, to, make, to break the bank in Monte Carlo. Of course, I never broke any bank with it. I thought I had a system, and I made some... Uh, share that sold to different people to make a capital of it and make break the bank. Did you undertake it? Did you um, try to? Oh, I did. I, I sold a few shares, of course. But did you win anything? No, never won anything. And <laughs> <laughs> now this is the um, boxing match. As you see, the drawing is completely geometrical or mechanical because that was the epoch period when I changed completely from, from splashing the paint on the canvas to a absolutely precise, co coordinated uh, drawing and no, with no relation to 
arty handiwork. This was one kind. of the motives of the glass that wasn't incorporated. That's it. Yes, it was supposed to be, and it never was incorporated. It should have been somewhere here, but never was finished. And, um, and as you know, as I like the, the intellectual side, although I don't like the word intellect. For me, intellect is too dry a word, too, um, too inexpressive. It's, it's, I like the word believe, to believe, believing is more, I think that people in general, when they say, I know, they, they don't know, they believe. I believe that art is the only form of activity in which man, as man, shows himself to be a true individual and is capable of going beyond the animal state because art is an outlet towards regions where which are not ruled by time and space. Uh, to live is to believe. That's my belief. Follow White Hot Magazine on the web. It's www.whitehotmagazine.com. You can follow White Hot Magazine on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow Noah Becker on Instagram. Have a wonderful afternoon. See you around the art world. <laughs>